praise God that his, this house here have, you know, we're really blessed. We're really blessed. And we're going to get a pastor, James, that's here today that's going to bless us with the word. Let's welcome him. Let's welcome him. Yes. It's always a blessing. Always a blessing each time he's standing here to bring the word of God. And then uh, going to pray and then turn the mic to him. Let's pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless you, Lord. And we thank you for the gift that you give us here, Lord. Father, you said you put all together for, the, for our good purpose. And thank you, Lord, uh, for the willingness and availability of uh, Pastor James Underwood this morning. Father God, uh, be the vessel. And the Lord, uh, that going to, you're going to pass through him, Father God, and to irrigate our heart with your word today. Father, we pray that our garden be ready and feel tasty and feel, Father God, they need you. They need your water. They need your words, Father God. Father, we pray that the spirit of the living God can touch a pastor with touch his lips, Father God. And then uh, he can hit your words, can come through, Father God, the way, Lord, you're speaking it to him and going to us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your words. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first times that I preached here was a long time ago. Um, I asked Pastor Jim to stand up here, and then I stood beside him, and I said, hold out your foot, and so we went like this. Uh, the point being that there's large shoes to fill, and we're little guys, some of us, okay, so we just go with what we got, and God is not a respecter of persons. God is a respecter of his word, and anyone who will bring his word. We serve a mighty God. I was going to pray before I start, but he prayed exactly what I was going to pray, so I don't even got to do that. But I do, no, I have to. Lord God, it is your word that makes the difference. It is your word that makes the difference. It is your word that makes the difference. And so I pray that you will captivate each one of us in heart, mind, and spirit, and soul, and body, so that your word can get where it needs to go in every heart in this room. Father, this is not about our stuff. This is about your advance in our hearts. And so I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will come and fill and empower and you would get your word into our hearts as we need to hear. In Jesus' name, I pray. We have started a new series. Pastor Jim and the other lead pastors have started a new series. And we are going through the book of Colossians. And I get really excited when a series is based on the word of God instead of a human program. Not that there's anything wrong. We seek God for the programs as well. But when it's directly out of the word of God, then that sets the, the agenda week by week. And that's what we preach through week by week. And so that's what we're doing. Um, Christmas Eve, I got to speak, and God had put on my heart a phrase, which is very simple, and you know it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I was praying about that Christmas Eve because I thought that's got very little to do with Christmas as we normally celebrate Christmas. And it kept coming, so I went there. And... Then I found out a few weeks later that Colossians and Christ in you, the hope of glory, is where the church is going for the next series. And so God leads even guys like me. God leads even guys like me to hear sometimes correctly. We make some mistakes too, but sometimes we get it right. Okay. 
So if you have a Bible, it would probably, I don't do PowerPoint because I distract myself. Um, so if you have a Bible, it's probably easiest to turn to Colossians, and I'm going to review before I dig into my part, okay? In the book of Colossians, Paul greets and prays for the church. He has probably never been there. He has probably never been there. Most of the churches in the New Testament, Paul started. This one he didn't. Epaphroditus or Epaphras started it. Epaphras started it and went to Rome to get Paul or get Paul's input on what was happening in his church. So Paul writes to them and is thankful for them. The gospel is bearing fruit over the whole world that he knew. Um, I'm sort of short, I'm sort of fast-forwarding through Scripture, okay? So he's thankful for the Word of God that's bearing fruit all over the world, and now it's come to you. And Paul's excited, because this wasn't Jewish mainline, this wasn't even a main city, it was just a place in the Roman Empire, and God, Paul was excited that the Word of God had come to people like you guys. And that's good news to Paul. Um, and he prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge and the wisdom and understanding as the Spirit gives to them. How would you like to have Paul pray for that for you? Wisdom and knowledge and understanding as the Holy Spirit. I kind of need more wisdom one time, once or twice. You know, you kind of go, well, I kind of got this part, but I need wisdom on that part. So Paul is praying for them for wisdom and knowledge and full understanding. And he prays that they would live a life worthy of the Lord who gave so much for them. That is my prayer for me and for us every day. I want to live worthy. He gave so much for us. How can we match what he has done into our lives? So may we at least live as worthy as we can for what he has done, not just our own agendas, not just our stuff. Live worthy of Jesus. And that they may be bearing fruit in good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Yes, I want to be more fruitful this year than I was last year. I really do. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I do. I do. I know part of it, and I go, wow, there's so much to learn. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. And he prays for them to be strengthened with power and endurance and patience. Anyone need power in your life? Anyone need endurance? Anyone need patience? Paul, and through Paul's scripture, prays for us, strength, endurance, patience. These are things we need. Paul knew that we needed them. God knew that we needed them and spoke them through Paul. And he has thankfulness to God because God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people. Paul is writing to nobodies. And he's saying, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his own people. Think about how, um, how hostile, for a minute, Jews and Gentiles were in that day. Peter got in trouble with the church leaders in Jerusalem because he ate with the Gentiles. Do you remember that? He needed the two- or threefold vision from God before he could even go to their house. So there's this atmosphere of hostility, divided camps. And Paul here is telling the Colossians, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance that means you're not just getting the trickle down, you're inheriting. That means you're heirs of the promises of God, along with those holy guys who had it all those centuries. But we get to share in the inheritance. We get to share in the inheritance of God's holy people. This is good news, folks. It's not all here. It's not all my current bank account. It's not what my mom's going to leave me, right? The inheritance of the holy people of God much bigger than anything else. 
God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us together into the kingdom of the son he loves. That is good news because we're not under the old government of the world anymore, although they have some power and some influence. But our true master, the kingdom of the son he loves, who loves us, God has transferred us. He's transferred stewardship or ownership or mastery over our lives. And they can push us around, and they do, but God has the last word in our lives. We are transferred to a new authority, and we look to that authority for how we run our lives. It's not what the IRS says. I mean, we respect them. God put them there. But, but the main authority, the last word in our life, should be the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingship of Jesus Christ in our lives. In our lives. God has transferred us, okay? It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen. Not everyone who's walking around is belonging to Jesus yet, okay? But when you come to Jesus, you're transferred. And that is good news because he's for us. He's not trying to just get our money or our allegiance or, you know, in the worldly sense. He has life for us. And we are transferred into the kingdom of life through Jesus Christ. Then, I'm not there yet. We're still in review. Supremacy of Christ. Christ is the main thing that Paul preaches um, with your, uh, in her um, speaking on um, becoming an elder in the church. He spoke of the supremacy of Christ. And that is the hallmark, that is the center point of Paul's life and ministry, that Christ is the supreme, the most perfect, the most beautiful expression of the love of God. And I'm going to read a little part of it. If I can find my verse, here it is. Verse 15. The Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. The firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Who lords over the invisible? Jesus Christ. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, for him, he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. When your world is falling apart, there's one who holds it together. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Firstborn from the dead, I want to park there one moment. There were other people who came back from the dead, but Christ went to the camp of death, defeated death in his own territory, and came back alive. And Revelation says he holds the keys now to Hades and hell. He holds the keys to death. And no one, I believe, no one gets in or out from death without the okay of Christ. So we see death and we think that's really tragic. And yes, it is really tragic sometimes. But it will not happen unless Christ lets it in or out. And death, as we know it, is not the last word because one stronger than death who brought the power of life into the place of death and rose is alive and intercedes for us. So death is not the last word. He holds the keys and he's got the last word. Okay? So we can say supremacy of Christ. We say, amen. That's good news for us. We're not stuck here by someone else's agenda. We're here because he ordained life for us, and I pray you will receive that life. One more. 
God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. I'm at the end, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1. This isn't even my part yet, okay? God was pleased to have all his fullness in Jesus. This is why I wanted to preach it on Christmas, because the miracle, the almighty God would come into a package as small as a human being. And we were talking with some uh, friends, who, friends who are friends with Muslims, and they say, that's blasphemous. God, a man couldn't become God. We go, no, no, it's not that man became God, it's that God became man. When he wanted to limit himself that way and put on the limits that, I mean, this is limited stuff, guys. It really is. And, and, but he wanted to put on the limits in the fullness of God into the limits of a human being. That's how much he loved us to show us a better way. Okay? The fullness of God in Christ Jesus. And so it matters how we respond to Jesus. What has he done for you? Verse 21, once you were alienated from God. Does that ring true? Even when we're reconciled, we sometimes feel the alienation, right? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you By Christ's physical body, there is a price that was paid. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Holy in his sight? I know better. We are holy in his sight by the blood of Jesus, not because we got it right. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. How much accusation comes on you in your life? But Jesus, the judge, the king of kings, says free from accusation. We have an advocate. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and which I, Paul, have become a servant. Okay, that's Pastor Jim's part. That's where we've been. Today I want to read from Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 5, and that's the part that I get to preach on, so you haven't heard it yet. I know, I get excited. Now, I rejoice, chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul is saying he's suffering, but he rejoices in it for their sake. We'll talk a little more about these a little later. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known this this mystery among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is where my heart is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is where my heart is when I'm preaching. I know it's not how well I say something. It's if Christ comes through, then there's hope of glory. If it's a good preacher, you got just good preacher. That's not the same thing as Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Yeah. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and all who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged, yeah, in heart and united in love, yes, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am present, I'm absent in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined and how firm your faith in Christ is. Once again, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will come now in your word that we may receive what you want to say to us. I want to start on verse 24. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Did Jesus leave anything undone when he died on the cross? You can answer. No, his, he, he finished it on, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, right? But the battle is not over, right? The battle's still raging, right? We all know that, because we're in it, okay? So there's, and when you're in a battle, there's a, uh, the enemy just doesn't go, oh, well, I lost that one. I'm out of here, right? The enemy fights tooth and nail for every inch of creation that he can still hold. And we take it at a price. There's an affliction, Paul talks about, that when we're engaged in extending the kingdom of God, it's Christ's afflictions that are being made up as we put ourselves into his work. Does that make sense? If I'm just worried about my own comfort and I get afflicted, that's my problem, right? But if I suffer because I'm trying to serve Christ in this matter, then, then we participate in the afflictions of Christ. That's an honor. That's an honor. We have two or three, at least in this church that I know of, that have been persecuted for being Christians. Think of Pastor Daniel Gudu, um, our Jesse Gudipati, um, who's with the kids right now. Um, these guys have been beat, they've been imprisoned, they've been really severely oppressed because they were Christian, no other reason, no other reason. And I'm sure there's more that I don't even know. Usually when I'm afflicted, it's because I didn't get my second helping of supper or my house is cold today. You see, you see the difference? It's like the things that, that we feel like are really hardships, it's usually because our stuff didn't happen. But when it's the, the agenda of Christ and we're suffering to see it come through, then there's an affliction that we can take a little more responsibility for, a, a little more um, divine credit for. I'm not quite saying that right. But you get the idea. It's the afflictions of Christ through us. Paul so closely identifies with Christ and his kingdom and his purpose that he knows Christ is in him. And when he hurts, he knows that Christ feels it. Paul had a good life before that, right? He was a uh, reputed teacher of Judaism, and he, he was a leader and helped prosecute the church and all this stuff. So he had a perfectly good life. But um, Jesus interrupted that life on the road to Damascus. You remember that story? What's the first words that Jesus said to Paul, to Saul, when he got the vision from heaven, the light shone from heaven? Why are you persecuting me, okay? So in Jesus' first introduction to Paul, he's saying, persecuting believers, you're persecuting me. So when Paul talks about we make up the afflictions of Christ, he knows, he knew that from Jesus, that the afflictions of believers 
are the afflictions of Christ. That is good news for us, guys. I, I want, if I'm going to be afflicted, I want it to be for Jesus and not because I didn't get my supper. Make it worth something. Um, we're going to jump down to the mystery because Paul is very concerned about making known the mystery. Um, mystery was a big word in Greek circles in those days. I didn't know this, but I have to look up stuff. Okay, so I'm, it's not like I'm so smart, but I, I can read and I can find out some stuff. Okay, so in Greek culture, there was a growing tendency towards, uh, they call it Gnosticism, knowledge, and it was based on if you know secret formulas or secret, almost like we think of a cult now, if you know the formula, if you know the password, then that opens you into a new arena of spiritual directness. Other people could say this better than I could. Um, but it, it puts you in the game, as it were, if you know the right thing. And Paul is, so mystery was a very popular word. That's how all these cultic teachers got you in. They say, hey, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the secret, man. Come on. Don't, don't let them hear it. No. Well, you can come if you want. But, but Paul is saying the secret, the mystery is Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. So you don't need to go join a cult to get something secret that will get you through. Because you have Jesus, and he gives himself freely, and that's where the treasure is. We talked about treasure. That's where the treasure is in him. So there's lots of things I want to know, and there's lots of people I listen to sometimes. Um, and other times I don't listen to them because I don't want to hear what they say. But, but in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many of us feel like if you go to a certain school, then, then that'll make it. That'll, make, that'll put me in. If I go to a certain teacher, then uh, nothing against... Uh, What's the school in California? Bethel Redding, okay? If I go to Bethel Redding, then God will really kick in in my life, and it'll all be cool from then on. Well, why do I have to go there? Or if I go to IHOP, then God will really kick in, and I'll You know what I mean? We get, we get kind of a hero subset, and nothing against those places. It's good, and God does work there. But you don't... That's a derivative because the treasure is in Jesus, Okay? And you don't have to go to Kansas City to find Jesus. And part of the glory of Jesus and what's deepest on my heart is it doesn't even have to look religious. He comes into ordinary lives. You're in my life. City bus driver. My life. Jesus. Doesn't have to look all churchy. That's the one of the core things in my heart is that we don't have to make it religious to be Jesus. We just live for him. The treasure comes through. The light, the glory comes through when we live for Jesus. Now, if we're still pursuing our own agenda, no. You know, yeah, I want a burger for lunch. So, but if I want what Jesus wants, he is the one we proclaim, we teach admonish, we proclaim, not a formula, but a relationship, a person, a living person. He is the one we proclaim. So it's not like if you go to this school, you'll get it all right and you'll be happy forever. But if you know Jesus, he's the one we proclaim, and that is your treasure. He's the one. And we teach with admonishment. That means sometimes we have to talk mean and say, come on, what are you doing? Get, live for Jesus. Don't, you're doing your own thing. No wonder you got trouble. 
So we admonish sometimes when we know a brother, sister, friend, we, hopefully we do it in love, but we say, come on, this isn't working for you. What does it take? So we admonish people to follow Jesus, and we proclaim, uh, we teach, because we teach about Jesus. We don't teach false God. And it's a person, not a formula. And in him are hidden all the treasures. For this, Paul strenuously contends. Different versions have different words, but he works really hard for this. And I was thinking, um, our pastors are among the hardest working, strenuously contend. These guys strenuously contend for the kingdom of God day and night. You don't say, you don't, it's hard to find Jim and say, uh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just kicking back watching the game, you know. He doesn't do his own agenda. He is fully engaged all the time in this kingdom of God. And I believe, think of Kishore. He works and he, and he pastors the church. He never gets sleep. He gets up early, what is it, 3, 4 in the morning to drive new immigrants to work so they can get their job. And then he comes home and then he goes to work. And then he pastors the church. This is the kind of people that are among us. And... Um, there are many more, the pastors, you sort of expect that because we have higher standards for us pastor types, right? Um, but I want to just say, I, I really hesitated on this. There, there are many in your pews who strenuously contend for the kingdom of God. There are many. This is not a church where we just dress up on Sunday and think that's it. I was good Sunday. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's so much more to that. I want to, I was going to, okay, I'm going to name two among us. Um, and God help me because I, I don't want anyone to feel left out. There's more that I'm leaving out than I'm naming. But just I want you to know examples of people that serve God strenuously, contend for the kingdom of God. That, and so when I leave you out, it's not because you're not doing it, okay? But um, Naomi, um, Ryman works, she's here today. That's rare because she's usually with the Bhutanese Christian Fellowship, Himalayan Christian Fellowship. Night and day, this woman works for God. Night and day, this woman serves God. She prays. She doesn't just do that, but she comes Monday nights for our prayer ministry because she knows that God in prayer is what it's all about. It's not just showing up on Sundays and driving people. It's a whole life strenuously contending for the kingdom of God. I want to name one other, probably unexpected, Alan Button. Can I ask how many of you have been driver trained by Mr. Alan? Look around. Hold them up. Just a second. Hold up. I didn't do that. You know how many people Alan was looking for, aware of, and willing to put the time? That's an investment. It's not easy to teach someone to drive. You, know, you don't know what they're going to do. So this is just another example, and God, God knows there's a thousand more of you. But I wanted to say that an example of strenuously contending for the kingdom because it's not just about our agenda. I would go home, wash the car, and wait till June. That's what I would do. But he has other, the heart for God, for God's people, okay? So, okay. I want to try to bring it home a little bit more here, and then we'll close. To me, the wonder of Christ in you, the fullness of glory, the hope of glory, is that God Almighty would limit himself into a human form. 
and not just a religious human form, but into an ordinary life. And here I want to talk back to Christmas just one more minute. There's Joseph and Mary. They weren't, they weren't like Herod's palace. They were in a stable. The government messed with their lives, and they had to make a long, hard trip. When she was pregnant, you don't want to make a long, hard road trip when you're pregnant. You want to be close to your favorite midwife. She goes, how many miles, how many days to a strange place? And there's not even room for him in the Holiday Inn. So ordinary lives. And then, then, then the manger, I mean, um, we, you, how many been through birth classes, childcare classes? You kind of wanted everything clean and bleached and uh, everything just perfect for your babies, right? Did Mary have that? Did the shepherds make a good welcoming party for the king of kings? Wise men came too, but who did God tell first? God sent the heavenly host to, to call shepherds to come, look, my son is born. You wouldn't know it's my son because he's just lying here. But glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men with whom he is pleased because to you is born a king who is for you, can transfer you from darkness to light. You wouldn't recognize him if we didn't tell you, but he's the one. Because it doesn't look glorious unless you see heaven, angels, or a star from heaven and follow it. So our part is to follow the vision, right? And God calls us, yes, sir, I'm coming. The glory of God comes in our lives when we're looking, often in subtle, hidden ways. I'm almost through here, I think. Subtle, hidden ways. Because it's not the kind of suit you're wearing, but it's, is my heart for Jesus? And who does Jesus want to touch through me? What am I doing for Jesus, not for myself? And when we do say yes to that, then God flows through, and life comes, and spirit comes, and power comes. Have you seen someone who's never been saved, and then they get saved? Have you ever been in those situations? That's glory of God. And you say, what are you doing in a dorm room? God in a dorm room? Yes, God in a dorm room. What are you doing on a city bus? I drive a city bus, people. I've seen the glory of God on a city bus. Where do you spend your time and will you look, will you hope for the glory of God? Okay, a little bit. I'm almost done. Sorry. We, the hope of glory, Christ in you, you and me, the hope of glory. There's nobody left out from that if he's in you. And I can't say if he's in you or not, because I don't know. He knows, right? 
So one of the things I want to ask you a little later is Christ in you. And if not, I want you to say, Jesus, we need you in us. I want you in. Okay. Um, there will be a hope of glory. There's, um, there will be a day when we are seated at the wedding feast of the Lamb of God in heaven. There's a place with your name written, uh, your name tag is at the place in heaven. It says, oh, that's Ron's place. That's Richard's place. That's Fred's place. He's Jake's place. There's a place for you. Your name is written in heaven. Now, that is glory that I hope for. That is glory I hope for. I want to be there. I want to be there now. You guys are good, but <laughs> we got a better offer. <laughs> But the glory of God is not only to come, but it's here and now, his saving, reconciling work, when we give ourselves to him and we see a brother who is laboring for the kingdom, we say, God is good. When, think of, for a minute, uh, one, uh, one more little example, of someone whose life has been transformed by Jesus in them. Um, forgive me, I'm going to pick, Tiffany's not here, so I can talk her for a minute. She was here earlier. But I know, you know Tiffany Good who works in prayer ministry. And think how she was transformed as Jesus grew in her from all sorts, I won't go into the stuff she was in. But now she's a woman of God. She's a prayer warrior. She is an intercessor at her work site. The glory of God is in Tiffany. The glory. Christ in Tiffany. The glory of God. Because we see he makes a difference in our lives. And God is glorified through that. So it's not just to come, but it's here and now. When we give ourselves to God, we stay in this school. And he makes the transforming work in us. And I'm going to read just a second. I'm almost done. Then we're done. Sorry, guys. I always have more to say than I can say, so then I have to pick and choose and trust the Lord to speak through it. Um, Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. When you transferred, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is the hope that I live for. I want to do things um, a little odd for our worship team. What I want to do is give you an invitation. I want the worship team to come and we'll do the first song but I want you guys to do it real quiet because what I want is to invite you to come forward if you want. And what I want you to think about is, is Christ in you? That's the first question. And if he's not, you can, you can ask him in today. Christ in you or not? If you want prayer, you can come on up. If you don't want to talk to anyone, you can come up and sort of face the altar stuff. And that signals us that you don't need us. And prayer ministers who are in the house, if you feel like someone needs prayer, then you can join them. Um, so that's the first thing, if you need Christ in you. Second thing is if you need more of the hope in you. 
because we work really hard and we don't see squat. And it gets really old really quick. And it's hard. So if you want more of the hope of glory in your life, then please come and we'll pray with you. Or you can just pray. But that is his offer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's his offer for you. Hope, glory coming. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to go out dejected if he has hope for you today. And glory is the last word. I have a song I wrote. I'm a songwriter, so I wrote a little song. I know the author of the book. He says, the last word is not pain. The last word is glory. I know the author of the book. He says, the last word is not pain. The last word is glory. And if you want prayer around the hope of glory in your life, then I invite you to come forward. Even while we're singing, you can just come forward and deal with that. You don't have to. He's the one that listens to your heart. But I want to make that option available to you. And I will, as, as people come, if you come, then I'm going to ask prayer ministers to be alert and see if there's someone you should pray for. We're just leaving with that. We're going to sing one song. They're going to lead us in that. You can come while they're singing. Then after that, I'll give the benediction. And then we'll worship a little more after that. But you can leave if you want to. You have to sing this one or come if you need. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray the benediction that God gave to the priests. Lord Jesus, you are why we live. Everything else leaves us empty and shallow and not fulfilled and not very happy. You are the hope. You are the glory of our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that your glory would be manifested more and more and more among us, even in this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now the benediction. This is what God says through his word. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.